Hello, everyone. Since this is either a highlight, a standalone book, or the first episode in a series, I'm jumping in to remind you what the rules are for this podcast. First rule is no real people stories. That means that any details from our own lives are merely anecdotal. We do not read books about real people, and we are not reading historical fiction. The second rule is that we are basing our analyses off of how the author treats characters and what they put them through. We are not judging the accuracy of the trauma, the accuracy of any actual conditions that may be portrayed, nor the authenticity of a character's reaction to that trauma or that particular condition. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. The hosts are not trained professionals, and their opinions come solely from personal experience. In this episode, we discuss fictional depictions of trauma and violence that may not be suitable for all audiences. Please take care of yourselves. Specific content warnings for each episode can be found in the show notes. Events in the media are discussed in approximate order of escalation. This episode contains spoilers. And I'm Robin, and today on Books That Burn, we are discussing Radiance by Catherine M. Valenti. Alright, the blurb from the publisher. Severin Unk's father is a famous director of gothic romances in an alternate 1946 in which talking movies are still a daring innovation due to the patent-hoarding Edison family. Rebelling against her father's films of passion, intrigue, and spirits from beyond, Severin starts making documentaries traveling through space and investigating the levitator cults of Neptune and the lawless saloons of Mars. For this is not our solar system, but one drawn from classic science fiction in which all the planets are inhabited and we travel through space on beautiful rockets. Severin is a realist in a fantastic universe. But her latest film, which investigates the disappearance of a diving colony on a watery Venus populated by island-sized alien creatures, will be her last. Though her crew limps home to Earth and her story is preserved by the colony's last survivor, Severin will never return. Yeah, so that is Radiance. Um... In terms of its structure, it gets compared to House of Leaves, and having tried to read House of Leaves a long time ago, it makes more sense than that, but that's not a bad point of reference. I've never read Um, House of Leaves. I don't know what that is. (laughs) uh, It's a horror book Okay, that is told less linearly than this. Oh, boy. (laughs) Huh. Interesting. Yeah. It was extremely popular when I was in, like, late high school, early college. Mm-hmm. Um, like, my partner tried to read it. Like, it, it, was, it was making the rounds a while ago. So, like, not a terrible comparison in terms of format. Um, but the story is pretty different, I think. Um, okay. All right. So, for, so first of all... 
I don't know how much, Nicole, you want to say about your reading experience or lack of reading experience (laughs) with this book. I unfortunately had to DNF this book. I like the concept. This is not a negative on the book, to be clear. Um, I just had a really hard time with the way that characters' thoughts were presented and how much of the book is just characters like dwelling on a single point and seemingly in my experience reading it just not moving forward at all it just i just i just struggled a lot with it um that again that is not a negative on the book itself it's not a negative on the author it was just the format in the way it was written was just not good for me as a person and my brain yeah and me letting you know as you probably picked up that mm-hmm. it's reflective of the non-linear nature of processing grief doesn't help you finish reading it. I mean, but uh, on it, but I mean that was that was fine. Like, I, yeah, non. This is something Robin and I had talked about before when I was trying to figure out what to do with it because, um, like the non-linear structure is is cool. I like it. <laughs> uh, it may mm-hmm. even feature in our wrap up actually, but it just the the way that the characters. I guess function in their world. I like a, a large part of what I actually got to. It was just it was just hard for me. So yeah, and it, it ended up being one of those things where it was like, do I take a couple of months to finish it and then we record, <laughs> or <laughs> do we just say I'm DNFing and then we can still have our discussion and it's fine? And that ended up being what we did. So yeah. So the first person that we're going to talk about with the first topic is Percival Unk. Um, because that is Severin's father. Severin is... Okay, this is not a spoiler. This is literally the premise. Severin is the person who probably dies and definitely disappears. Now, we're going to discuss about the probably on dies later on. But for the purpose of the section with Percival, his daughter is probably dead. She's definitely never coming back. He is a filmmaker and he's trying to make a movie about her and about what happened in a way to get um, closure and clarity on it. And I don't know. Okay. Something about him trying to make a movie in order to process what happened with it and get an answer on what happened to her reminds me of the time that at my job I was asked to make an org chart because my boss wanted to know what our organizational structure was. <laughs> um, huh. Okay. It, it was a while ago. It was pretty funny. Uh, I said, hey, I, I, I technically speaking, I can make this chart. What do you want me to put in it? He was like, uh... And then I made a template for him and he filled it in after getting the information <laughs> from people who actually had it. But there's no such authority to tell Percival what actually happened. And the people who do tell him, right, so she's dead, he doesn't want to accept that. <laughs> right. he, he, he doesn't, he's unwilling or unable to accept that answer. And it is difficult to know because of the format. It's difficult to know how much of the book is all of this a movie yeah. that he's making. Is the entire book the film that he's making? 
Is it a hodgepodge of the film that he's making and like and Cheese's narrative about his life? Like, See, are these bits of other media part of what yeah. Percival is doing, or are they separate? And I don't know if Subwiki somewhere has an authoritative answer on that, <laughs> but experientially reading it, I have read it twice and I am unable to definitively say which one I think it is, mm-hmm. which fits the book, but doesn't uh, help this episode. See, um, I think that's really interesting because even though I didn't read like the vast majority of the middle of the book, um, I didn't have any trouble with this. And I have a clear opinion on what parts I read were a movie and what parts I read, I think, are just other context. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know if I'm right, but I think it's really interesting that your experience is not being able to tell, whereas my experience was like very definitive. Like I have mm-hmm. an opinion and I think I know where things are. So I think that's, yeah. I think that's interesting. Yeah. And like when we say child death, that's because he's her parent. I think she's in her twenties when she dies, which doesn't stop her from being someone's child. But it is the reason that like, we kind of have two death tropes for the same person is because conceptually Percival thinking of this as grief over his child being dead is different from the idea that this child movie star come documentary maker hopefully (laughs) is dead like yeah. the, those those end up being two different things when someone's child dies as an adult. Yes, very um, much so. Otherwise, all death would be child death. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I don't actually have child death listed in the content warnings for the mm-hmm. book, and maybe I should. But like, uh, as of, I like I don't think so. I don't think no. that's appropriate. No. Like, but to Percival, Agreed. his child is gone. Right. Right. His fully grown adult child is gone. <laughs> and because she had like seven moms, there's a lot of people <laughs> for whom their child is dead. Mm-hmm. Um, potentially, depending on whether they're still around. It's not all of them are or in still, her life <laughs> yeah. at all. Oh, one, one of them is dead, actually. Mm-hmm. I think I might be remembering that incorrectly. No, that sounds right from the intro we got for them. Yeah, I think it's the one with the tigers didn't make it. I don't know anything I, about them. <laughs> I have no details. Oh, okay. <laughs> I just so, know that there were that many and then a brief <laughs> yeah. synopsis of of the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Percival's trying to make a movie about processing this. Uh, which honestly, terms- that's mm-hmm. so that's such an interesting like. So here's the thing. In mm-hmm. my experience as an artist and having other friends who are artists and looking at other people's art and, you know, of all, of all kinds. This is so common. <laughs> mm-hmm. Using, if, if you are artistic at all, using some medium of art to work through things is incredibly, incredibly common and incredibly, like, typical, I would even say. There's so many films movies shows that exist because somebody said i'm struggling and i need to figure this out (laughs) whole Mm -hmm. books 
whole books exist for the same reason. Somebody said, I'm struggling with a concept. I'm going to put it out in a story. Like pieces of art, like art that hangs in museums. Not all of it, not all of it, obviously, but like there are particular pieces that have like a whole story attached because they are somebody working through something in their lives. It's not always grief, but sometimes it is. Sometimes it's loss. You know, this book exists because the author wanted to write about <laughs> the experience of being the child of a filmmaker. There you go. You've got it's a very meta text. Yes, <laughs> that's funny. Um, yeah, but but this is this is one of those things where you know we get to the kind of the the premise and like the intro, and like it's it's not a a lens that we at least in my experience I read a lot of fiction that takes. But it's very real. It's very, uh-huh. like, true to life. So I, I think that's cool. Well, because usually the fiction is the thing that they were working through and not, right. like, a right, meta-text right, right. about working through the well, thing. But, I mean, the character about, you know, yeah. we don't see characters sit down and draw art. <laughs> like, that's not mm-hmm. even a thing that we, that's, like, I mean, it, it. I'm sure it happens in some books, but, like, you know. I'm sure something like comics or graphic novels would lend themselves more. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. There's so there's so many movies about like writers working through grief. This is true. No, you know, the here's the here's the the themes. You ready? You're right. Writers writing about writing to work through the thing. That's a thing. Um, Uh Any type of physical like sports or combat, you'll see a character who's like, I'm just putting my all into hitting the thing because I'm working through my stress. Like you'll see that. Um, you'll see, uh, people who like, I have to work through the thing by accomplishing my goal and maybe their goal is like constructive or whatever, but like, not always, like a lot of time their goal is just the plot, (laughs) um, which, yeah, that's not really the same thing. And, And so it, but you don't really see people who like film is not really like making the movie at least in books is not really like a a common thing or you know sitting down and drawing is not really a common thing to see depicted or you know creating like sculptures or you know physically making something with your hands is not very common in books you'll see it in movies right but not really you get to see the thing right so but this is interesting because this is not a film about making a film this is a book about making a film so it kind of crosses there a little bit, and I think that's cool. Given what the special effects budget would have to be, <laughs> that's probably for the best. Yeah, um, that's fair. But this would be... Just for I that just, one flashback about all of the planets and their grain <laughs> This would be, alone. Oh, this would be so cool. This would be such a cool movie. But yeah, it... But, you know, if this were a movie, I know what style it should be. What? Film noir style. Oh, for sure. Because absolutely. That's how you would get the character monologues that I struggled with, like to mm-hmm. really be alive and be a thing. Mm-hmm. And you have like the typewriter clicking in the background. Yeah, and exactly. It's the bits that are the script and yeah. not like it's, an it's even happening. It's even, I think, set pl- pretty close to the right timeline, too. Yeah, it's the 40s. Yeah. Uh, but some of it takes place in the 20s. It's just the final, the cap is in yeah. the 40s. That makes but, sense. Yeah early stuff is in the 20s when she's a kid yeah but if you had a film noir movie where they was walking around doing mm-hmm. this thing like that would be i think that would be, make a lot of sense for the book <laughs> but then we're back to a movie about making a movie and it's no longer the same thing yeah anyways that was a little off topic but 
onto Anchesis as the lone survivor. So I really, really like this character. Um, He ends up with more than one name throughout the book, but I have trouble enough remembering character names, so I'm just going to call him Anchesis the entire time. I understand he uses a different name as an adult. We're mostly, we're talking a lot about what happened when he was a kid, and it's not a dead name situation. Um, He just doesn't always stick to that one all the time. So, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. He touches a callow whale, which, uh, spoiler alert, is an interdimensional being that happens to look vaguely like a massive whale in this dimension, but looks like other stuff other times. And it made a baby callow whale in his hand. And then he was in danger. And then the callow whales thought a callow whale was in danger. And then they nuked his town. Um, <laughs> yeah. And yeah, he got stuck in this weird time loop of like walking and talking and saying the same thing over again, but not aging for like a decade. So he's in really weird shape and really bad shape when Severin's group comes across him like they were going to see him as like this curiosity but before he was this lone survivor uh he had this interesting thing where whatever he wished for didn't come true but now i hear now i know what you're thinking but hear us out (laughs) right 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 no like in an actionable way like, if I wish my dinner was disgusting, his dinner could be pretty much anything, but what it wouldn't be was disgusting. Um, I don't know if it could have, like, been that he didn't have dinner. That way he didn't have one that was disgusting. Like, he couldn't, like, control the direction that it didn't happen. Right. Um, but he tried to figure this out anyway. Like... I don't know how important that is to the trauma other than that it gave him this sense of kind of responsibility for the power of his words and an outsized consequence to minor actions, which probably made being the lone survivor worse. Yeah, and very much. And I think a little bit of that is definitely in the text, but I don't know how explicit that is. You did read, the, um, like his section is one of the things you read. It, so. it is, but the, I, I'm not actually, I don't have a good clarity for that. Um, Okay. Well, he is, what I will say, as the lone survivor, and then being rescued by Severin, and then when he's rescued by Severin's group, her entire group, all more than half of them, including herself, don't make it back from Venus. And so he's rescued by her group. And then he kind of like grows up having had this weird thing happen, not having his entire town, his entire colony destroyed except for him. And then the people who rescue him, like half of them don't make it back. 
And then he's just gonna, like, try and live the rest of his life and be an adult or whatever. And there's no one to help. And the one person that he remembers most who he feels like kind of turned him back into a person again instead of, like, someone stuck in a loop saying the same thing and not aging for a decade. She's gone, but she left behind all these movies. And so he gets obsessed with her and with the idea of her as, like, she rescued him, she got him out, but she didn't get out. And so he keeps watching movies she was in and movies she made to try and get a sense of connection to this person who was in his life for, like, Mm -hmm. one or two days. One moment, uh, my cat is moving a stone. Grimoire does not like for Robin's door to exclude her from any room. So, yeah, so Antis is, he's obsessed with Severin. I don't think it's in, like, a sexual or romantic way or mm -hmm. anything. It's It's like... I don't know. He's he's got this stuff where like he feels like their lives are like the other halves of each other. Um and I don't remember which of them he said doesn't doesn't have a beginning and the other one doesn't have an end, but together they're like a whole life. He's got some something like that <laughs> about them that he says. Um and so he's watching her movies in an attempt to get that's what it is he uh he's watching her movies to an attempt to get like the beginning of his story which is like kind of like the illogic of like grief and tragedy where you feel like if you can just it's a kind of magical thinking where it's like if you just do this thing this unrelated thing will happen and that'll finally make it okay and he's doing that but with a person he met for two days oh my god i just Grimar. heard a squeak <laughs> she's asking to be let back in i'm not pausing anything okay Look, Grim grimoire says that all cats who are the same color as the cover of the book uh, have a right to get to be in the recording session. I mean, which I feel she's she's correct. Like it's an excellent point. Um, so yeah, like that's the main thoughts that I had about Aunt Jesus is he he he's trying to have this connection to Severin, and it feels like it is a replacement for the family he lost. Like, he doesn't talk about them. He talks about Severin. And he talks about Severin so much that it took until my reread for this recording for me to realize that they only knew each other for maybe, like, two or three days. That's it. Yeah. Um, With how much, like, the book builds up him looking for her movies and watching them and all this stuff. It, and also his name change. I didn't realize that at, on my first read through, I didn't realize that 
he was the kid that she rescued. And that they didn't actually spend any time together as adults, and they didn't spend any time together both as children. And I thought that they were much more involved in each other's lives because of how much he involves himself in her life after her presumed death. Yeah. I confess, I did not realize they were the same character. Yep, they are the same character. It's much more understandable to not realize in your case, but yeah, yeah. no, it. even I who read the whole thing, I didn't realize. Yeah, cause, so he gets hired to kind of like investigate and go back because he was there the first time. Um, and one of the early hints that they are the same character is that like he's got like a glove and a scar on his hand from where the Callaway thing was. Oh, okay. Yeah. But it, it takes until very, very late in the book for it to make it explicit. Gotcha. What happened and who he was and that they're the same person. You wanting me to read that particular chapter makes much more sense now. <laughs> yes, yes. Because I will confess, I read it and was like, all right, great. Disconnected from everything. I don't know what this is. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a backstory, which I thought I said, but clearly I don't did remember. not say. You may have. I don't remember. Yeah. But in terms of the author choosing this, I don't know why she chose it, but it's very cool. And it it helps to have someone other than her father talking about her. Mm, okay. I just... Because I think it... But still, you end up with, like, two different guys talking about this woman who is dead. Right. And so part of what completes that is that the interviews with her when she was doing documentaries, to me, those help to, like, shore up perspective so that it's not just... Two guys talking about her after she's dead. Right. Alright, so, Severin, the lady herself, finally, uh, who is basically definitely dead. Like, the book spends a long time going back and forth about what happened, partly because... As we mentioned in the first topic, her mm-hmm. father is having a hard time accepting that that is what has happened. But the characters who aren't him seem to be under the impression that she is dead or at least gone in a way that means she can't come back. Right. Um... So when we were listing the topics, I completely forgot about the uh, very interesting way that drugs happen in this book, (laughs) Um, which while we're talking about Severin, I would like to briefly mention. Okay. Um, Yeah, there's 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 a there's a bunch of interesting space drugs that are in this. And like, I just I I. Just thought it cool that they're space drugs, but one of those space drugs are like bits of the Calla whales. Like hmm. that's like the the big one that um that Severin uses is one that I think is from the bones of the Calla whales. I know it's from one part of them. 
Okay. That gets like smoked and turned into this drug. Like it's not a main thing. I just the a lot of people or se- at least one person around Severin dies from those drugs. And then Severin also later is probably dead. I don't know. Thematically, they felt linked. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, because this is this is the kind of book where we're like, I don't know, thematically they felt linked is is like the book, kind of, in a way. Um, I don't want to be too flippant about it, but it is it it is a strange and sometimes unwieldy narrative um because of how it blends these things together Mm -hmm. but with severin definitely being dead um because like we'll talk about this more in the wrap-up but like because of the way the book is constructed from um, interviews and transcripts and movie scripts and conversations that were recorded. This is close to this isn't a found footage book precisely, but it com- or like a found document book, but it comes like really close to that because <laughs> it's a f- some. Robin. It's not found. Robin. Because, uh-huh. It's a found memories book. <laughs> yeah, well, part of why it gets so close to that is because some, someone is trying to, or more than one someone is trying to put together the documents that form the shape of Severin's life. But it includes documents that were made expressly because this attempt to document her life was Mm -hmm. happening and so that changes the kinds of documents that are involved and like one of the hard things when you're making like a fictional found document thing as an author is like what can you get away with having someone coincidentally have written down or recorded or whatever so that it could make it into your final text because mm-hmm. there are some like found document things that i have like there's some like found audio podcasts that i've listened to where there was one where i was just like oh you don't even care anymore you're just whatever and then it turns out the excuse is that there was someone who had bugged everywhere Right. So, like, anything anyone said at all was recorded. Um, And this doesn't have to do that because it has, like, the documentary lens as part of the layers. And it gives... It it means that the... That they can do pretty much anything except have the recordings of what happened on Venus because part of the narrative is that there's a specific person who deliberately wrecked mm-hmm. most of the footage of what Severin made. Right. Most of the footage that was taken and a lot of the audio that was taken before it was destroyed was corrupted somehow. Um, and so because of that, for anything except for what literally happened to Severin, the author could just have a justification for some document that gave that answer to exist. Mm -hmm. But because they said, and then this guy right here, and we're very upset about it, destroyed all the tapes, 
they now can't. And it makes this ambiguity that allows some people to pretend that Severin didn't die, but for it to really pretty much be the answer that she had to have. Right. Okay, those are my my very basic, she's probably dead spiel. <laughs> I don't know how much you got to read um, of that. Not Not much. However... I I feel like I feel like having a definitive answer I was going to say doesn't really make sense for the book. We didn't get one, so like it's not really an opinion. I just like the author's choice. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm for the purposes of like what does it do to the reader and why make these choices with the characters? Um right. which is our lens. Yes, having it be that some characters for to be their best selves and to process things as much as they can, they have to proceed as if she is dead and she isn't coming back. And that is the answer. And some of them are determined to proceed as if. Okay, fine, she's not dead. She's just maybe out there somewhere out there and probably not coming back but like out there right and like even in fiction percival isn't able to write a fictional narrative of what probably happened wherein she is definitely dead like that's how not ready for this right. he is but the narrative doesn't say that he's wrong um right it is deliberately ambiguous yeah and yeah it's it's a really cool style um i wish we got more with her point of view closer to the actual incident because like a lot of the big interview that happens with her is on a ship in transit there if i'm remembering correctly i know it's on a ship um but it means that like kind of like halfway through the book, there's this big set piece where we get Severin talking to somebody and answering questions. And then I think pretty much all the other pieces are other people talking about her and about her presence or absence. Um, but it's not her getting a question and then answering it right did you know rob thomas has been writing since the mid 90s the matchbox 20 guy no the guy behind veronica mars oh and i zombie and cupid party down the cupid reboot i haven't seen me neither, but we should watch them and then talk about them on our podcast. Yes, we could call it the Rob Thomas. No, not that one. Robcast. Every other Tuesday with Alex and MJ. Find us at notthatrobcast.libsyn.com or wherever you download podcasts. On to the wrap-up and ratings for Radiance. For the gratuity rating for child death. Um... Given that, um, as we can, discussed in the topic, can we call it backstory? It's not really, but like yeah, it's it is. backstory. Like, but it's backstory in the middle of the plot. <laughs> yeah, because um, 
in case you jumped straight to the wrap up, this book is very nonlinear and has some structural but not content similarity to House of Leaves. Just for anyone where that's a useful reference. Um, so yeah, it's it's very nonlinear, and even though we don't get this information really until like partway through, sort of, sort there's a giant sort of and kind yeah. of with most of what we're gonna say, just because of how this book is. But yeah, no, that's absolutely backstory. Um, um, the only one thing I was going to say is that the child in question is an adult. It's just talking <laughs> about the perspective of her parent having lost his child. So yeah. Um, so backstory. I think maybe I can't decide. It's not severe unless we decide it is because of how the characters take it. Um, but I could make an argument for mild, or I could make an argument for severe, <laughs> and that's hard. I would say severe, but sorry, sorry, sorry. I would say mild, but the book as a whole, as I've said before, is about the nonlinear nature of grief. And if that's not the kind of book you want to read right now, especially with an adult child dying, then maybe don't read this book because that is literally like one of the main things that it is about. Okay. Um, it's about works. people trying to grapple with this absence. That's fair, because um, it's her absence, not the actual death. Right. Right. Okay. Gotcha. Then Lone Survivor. Um, I'd say this is either moderate or severe. Like, we get really deep in his head. We have the, we have, like, pretty specific, but not graphic, descriptions of what happens to make him a Lone Survivor. I would argue, unless there's a scene that is much more graphic that I didn't get to, I would no, I argue think... I would argue moderate because it's not graphic, and it's almost an afterthought that he is the only one who lives. <laughs> yeah, we get a lot of setup, but not like a lot of actual event or him processing. Yeah, I'm I'm happy with calling it moderate. Yeah, he. Uh is focused on other things as he is trying to live the rest of his life. Right. And then death, I think this... No, Robin, you gotta say it right. The way Sorry. you wrote it is death. Yeah, death. Um, <laughs> Probably. This character is probably dead. Almost <laughs> definitely not coming back. Um, Unless... Unless, maybe, I don't know. Uh, it's not in this text anyway. Right. But I, yeah, it is, I think, mild or off screen. I, but this, like, okay, I'm going to argue the fact that it's not even definitive. It is definitely mild and definitely off screen. And I don't even know if we can call it mild because it's, not even a thing. We literally don't know for sure it's happening. Oh, I heard Grimoire, that kitty cat. Do you know that it's Grimoire? Do you know if it happened? Hmm. Grimoire is keeping her secrets. Or, or not? <laughs> okay, okay. How dare okay. you say that she's keeping I, her secrets? <laughs> I I won't speak for you, Grimoire. You <laughs> you are the authority on this book, apparently. Uh huh. 
Anyway, um, Grimoire's interruptions aside, <laughs> uh, I do think that this is mild and off screen because, yeah, like we so much don't have it that we don't technically super duper know for sure that she is dead. Right. Um, but it's not nothing because like a lot of people are dealing with the idea that she probably did die. Right. Probably. Grimoire brought a toy in to play with during the recording. I mean, like she, a great cat. She's not recording right now. So like that's true. <laughs> it's playtime. So apologies for the random thumps in the background. <laughs> Those will probably get edited out. I'm going to try to leave her meows, though. Because she is contributing to the conversation, and we must respect it. All right. Child death. Uh, Intermediate, or I'm sorry, uh, integral, interchangeable, or irrelevant. And just as a a reminder, as we try to do every couple episodes... Uh, integral means that if you take it out, the plot is irrevocably different and can no longer function as it is currently. Uh, interchangeable means something had to happen, but it didn't have to be that thing. You could have swapped it out and nothing would really change. And uh, inter- and uh, irrelevant means you could cut it and it's everything's fine. <laughs> that Percival doesn't have Severin is integral to the plot. Yeah. Well, so okay, but does it have to be death? I think I think no. she could be hospitalized. I think she could have just disowned him and left. You know, I That's I would true. argue that I I think it's interchangeable maybe. Yeah, no, if if she had like had some giant fight and left. Yeah. You're right. Given who he is, or he would have done this but maybe with slightly less angst. I would argue it doesn't even have to have be a fight. Mm-hmm. If he just is obsessed with this concept of of being in control of her life and then she just says no and leaves, like that could be just as bad for him, even if she's fine. Right, right. You wouldn't have to tweak his character much or no. potentially at all in order for that yeah. to, to work. Yeah, okay, I'll go with Integral. Um, or interchangeable. Lone, <coughs> sorry, interchangeable. Uh, lone survivor. This is hard because I don't really have an opinion on this because I could see it as being any of the three depending on the parts I didn't get to. Okay, I would say interchangeable because he needed to be alone but he could have gotten stuck in the time loop without everyone else dying. And I mean, the- he could have just, yeah, been in the time loop and then they all die from old age. Yeah, like, like if it had been a longer period yeah. of time. You wait. You wait nine months. <laughs> okay, Grimoire. Well, interchangeable yeah, it is. Yeah, Grimoire says interchangeable. She's waited <laughs> nine months to ask to play fetch and chooses now. <laughs> She hasn't played fetch since six months before we moved. Oh, my God. Okay. All right, Grimoire. All right. I understand. You love this book so much. You're so excited um, that you left your mouse on the other side of the room because you're that kind of cat. I think she's 
I mean, it really does sound like she's just finally oh, comfortable in where you're living she's now. She's trying cool. to summon me to the other room with the couch where I brush her. That is what's <laughs> happening. Ah. Yeah. I see. That is absolutely what's happening. Um, okay. Is... She's such a good communicator. She's an excellent... Like, no, it's super clear. Like, I yeah. try to pay attention to what she's saying, and yeah. she rewards no, that, that. Yeah, that was not sarcastic. Consistent. Like, she really is. I'm, I'm just saying for the yeah. audience who oh, okay. doesn't know this. Like, yeah. I, I try to be very attentive to her and Folio's signals, and in response, they give consistent signals that I am able to figure out Mm -hmm. and based on how little they're frustrated with me and how often (laughs) they seem very happy i think it's working out cool um death death is uh okay it is integral to the plot that we don't know if she died (laughs) and so to the degree that this is present here it is integral that the question is death and the answer is ambiguous. The question is death. The answer is... Uh-huh. Alright. Uh, treated with care. This is treated with care. Um, I feel like the child death is absolutely treated with care. Like... Mm. I, I think that it's... Look, if you're not ready to read something with this topic, this just isn't the book for you. Well, I, I actually not... maybe I I maybe disagree. Okay. The actual physical potential death I think is wrapped in so much of just it we just don't know what happened that yeah, sure. But this mm-hmm. book is literally about processing it. And right. that puts everybody who is processing like front and center, you are in their head, you are experiencing what they're experiencing. I had the experience of feeling like the character just couldn't move on and do anything else. Like, that's rough. Um, You've convinced me. And also, like, that someone might have an adult child who is missing. Destination unknown. Like, circumstances. uh, It's been long enough. Like, that that isn't an uncommon situation. Like, that is a real kind of thing that doesn't require this fantastical setup to be an actual thing. This is one of those weird ones, because I would argue that it is mild, but so incredible. Like, everybody's reaction afterward is so on screen and, like, Mm -hmm. visceral, even. I would argue that it's either just a straight up no or a not enough. It's one of the two because I I think that they took this very like we see nothing event and turned it into this whole experience for these characters, which again, like you've said a couple of times is the point of the book. But like, I think that that is done so well that you can't Mm -hmm. argue this is treated with care because that's kind of the whole point is that you are in it as these characters are going through it. Mm hmm. And I don't think that's okay. a bad thing. I just I'm oh, no. I just think that like that's the point of the book, but the point of the book is that you are just you are experiencing how much grief and pain and loss. This yeah, has I caused. guess if I have to say, hey, don't read it if in you're in if you're yeah. in basically <laughs> this situation, that means no. <laughs> like I mean well, I not, or, I wouldn't go that far. Enough. I wouldn't I wouldn't go that far because like that's maybe not universal, but I, I mean right. I would argue that if my I, I would argue that not enough. That. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, I, I would say not enough. I don't, I don't, I mean, I wouldn't, I don't think we should kick it up to just straight up no, because like the point is the process. So, yeah. you know, they process, which is some care. So, I, all right. Um, lone survivor. I didn't even realize that this had happened really at first as I was reading it. And then I was kind of like, oh, so I think this is treated with some care. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't really focus on it. I would mm-hmm. say enough care. I'm cool with that. Um, yeah. It's death? trying. Yeah, death. Um <sighs> I'm channeling my inner Colin mockery when he tries to ask say... a question on who's on. <laughs> I would say enough hmm. I think for this. Because like Yeah, I, I agree. Th- yeah, and, and treating someone processing their kid being gone very differently from just a person right. has probably died. Right. Even though they're the same person. Those yeah. are two completely different experiences. Yeah. Agreed. Then the moral directionality. As a reminder, we have clear, muddy, and tangled. Uh, this has nothing to do with whether you think as a character that they are right or wrong, or even if the author thinks they're right or wrong. This is what we as as uh readers are supposed to whether or not we can tell if they are i don't i usually have words for this <laughs> uh mm-hmm. whether or not we can tell that we are supposed to agree with them or not so clear is you know that you are supposed to agree with whatever character or no characters or all characters um but you know for sure what you're supposed to get out of it uh muddy is when like it's kind of a little bit hard to decipher and tangled i'm sorry i said that wrong clear is when you know who you are supposed to agree with muddy is when like you can't tell or maybe it's multiple people or maybe you know and tangled is when like everybody is right or everybody is wrong or you it's just un you just don't know no well no no tangled tangled no, you're saying it wrong. Oh no. So okay. so muddy is when it's super complicated and we have no idea. Tangled is when there's a lot of really clear, understandable arguments for mutual for mutually um exclusive <laughs> for mutually exclusive positions. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's yeah. a much better way of phrasing that. Okay, yeah. cool. Uh, I think this you, book is interesting. We because, can't do all your plans, but right, you, you can't all be right, and yet somehow. <laughs> Well, um, we we can't do all your plans and have everything be fine, um, but that doesn't mean you're all wrong about everything, right? Yeah. So um, I don't I don't know. I don't think I can give an opinion on this. Okay. So the thing that I think makes this either muddy or tangled, there mm. is a huge ethical thing in the book about the use and commodification of callow whales. Oh. It is a huge thing. Like, that's part of why I mentioned um, their overlap with drugs in one of our topics. Mm. Because it's just, it's this huge thing. We're in the no-spoiler zone, so I'm not going to spoil. Um, But they're... There's like ads for Calla Whale products. Like ads are amazing. I love the ads. Right. They're very cool. But like th- there's all of this stuff with whether 
people should be doing what they're doing with the Callawales, especially when they don't totally understand what they are, but they are commodifying them anyway. And I think by the end, I think I would say Tangled, um, because Callawales are not the only thing in the book. And one of the other things is like, talking about how they're treating yeah like these stars and say. actors and like Callaways are not the only thing but they are the thing that means that i cannot call this clear um they're the thing that makes it have to be either muddy or tangled um for me at least there are other things that could have pushed it into that for other people reading this does it um, does it feel like Callaways should be exploited and actors should be exploited anyway or does it just feel like oh no we're questioning our lifestyle um i come away from the book thinking they shouldn't be doing what they're doing and very neatly if you stop exploiting the callawales people can't stay in space anymore and so they also can't be doing the acting things and then the entire society of the book has to collapse back to only having people on earth That is the logical conclusion of if they stop exploiting the Callaways, And that might make it clear. I was going to say, that sounds incredibly clear. Like, the answer is stop it. (laughs) Yeah, for the Callaways, the answer is stop it. But there there are, like, I don't know, like, there there are smaller, more personal things that aren't that big and aren't that grand. Right. But do have a moral, like, element to them that I think make this... Do we get a it, sense it that we're? Su- do I was gonna say? Do we get a sense that we do or don't think the character is doing the right thing, and it's just that they have well, a lot of those moral okay. things? Or the hardest, the hardest thing is that the super clear answers of exactly what's going on the, with the Callaways and why they should stop what they're mm-hmm. doing happens in a thing that somebody wrote that in universe is fiction but probably is actually right. Like, that's the thing. Okay, but that's like, not, that doesn't make it less clear. That that doesn't make it less clear in terms of what the book is saying, but it means that someone wrote a play saying what Callaways would say about this if we could talk to them doesn't mean in universe that the person is right. Like, this is a super weird book. I, I and think, I yeah. would I, rather say that it's Tangled <laughs> okay would, here's here's my issue yeah. with tangled if mm-hmm. it could be clear but you don't want to commit to that going all the way to the complete opposite end and saying tangled doesn't make sense to me i could see an okay. argument for maybe muddy except you haven't really given me a good defensive okay we yet. could <laughs> if, if you um, accept that the piece of text that has no in-universe reason to be correct but nevertheless seems to be correct based on the epilogue is right that's that's that is that is a that is a reason for us as an audience to think that this is clear okay yeah even if even if it's not a reason for the in universe characters to think so Mm -hmm. we are the people who that's true the treatment matters to yeah yeah Yeah, then i would i would say on the callaway front and the actor exploitation i would say it's it's clear okay um, I think also maybe treatment of character, dead character lives. Yeah, um, there's also like a murder. Like there's some interesting, interesting stuff. 
mm-hmm. in this book. Um, like you were saying, if this were turned into a movie, it would have to be a film noir. Yeah, it's got all of that. It's great. <laughs> um, I think we get enough, at least from what I read, we get enough like context for things that you feel like you are or are not supposed to agree with the characters. I think we're okay on clear. And I know I just said like a bunch of details about what's in the book, but if you have tried to read it at all, it'll yeah, be really not a clear how much that is not a spoiler. Yeah. It just, even though it sounds like it, I promise it's <laughs> really not. Um, all right. A uh, point of view, trauma and aftermath. Um, For child death, we just, I mean, it's those she left behind, so to speak. Yeah. And... So for okay, so for the child death, it's not her, um, but we, we do have since we were focusing on it as Percival and like the person working through not having his kid anymore. We explicitly have the text of his discussions and like scripts he writes True. trying to process that. So we do have the perspective of the person traumatized by not having their kid. True. Um, yeah. For the lone survivor, we also get a mix of other people talking to him. Um, kind of like documentary style but we also mm-hmm. have like his journal i think like we have something that he did write himself right um or was directly interviewed or both so we have his perspective um but then for the actual death probably the death um <laughs> we i mean we we explicitly don't have the moment it happened so we don't have the character going through it yeah but in a weird way, we don't have anyone else watching it, like, with how much stuff is lost. Um, right. That's part well, of but, the thing. But we, we have do explicitly... the aftermath. Yeah, I was going to say, we explicitly have only the aftermath. Yes, um, but not the actual trauma. Which is okay. interesting. I'm not sure if we've had that before. <laughs> In the yeah, same way. I definitely... I don't think for a death trope, I would be surprised. Yeah. Um... Other tropes can be like that. Yeah. Agreed. All right. For speaking of tropes, for the trope spotter, uh, we have amazing technicolor population. So in this book, people who live on the moon end up turning blue because oh, they're right. colloidal silver in the water. Fun fact, that is not okay, that it's on the moon, that's just that's in fiction. this book. Right. But but colloidal silver turning people blue, like that is an actual thing that will actually happen if you ingest enough colloidal silver, is that it will slowly tinge your skin yes. a pretty interesting shade of blue. Um, and then it just kind of stays because your body doesn't process it out, or at least <laughs> does not process it out very quickly. And right. so my understanding is if that happens to you, it stays You're blue, for a da, long time. Da, boo, da, boo, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, trope spotter, amazing technicolor population. Um, they do they do some interesting stuff to deal with all the fact that all the actors are blue. But for that, you should read the book. <laughs> um, what was your favorite non traumatic thing about the book? You read less of it, and so I do not I want did. to take yours. That's fair. Um, I actually really like the format. It feels almost like a mystery. Or, like, Uh mysteries could be written this way. Um, And I think 
that I, I I like that that feeling of like okay we start out with this character who is has a plan and is mourning something and then you slowly get why and then how and then you know it it, it builds and it fills in it feels like you're trying to figure it out as you read which is cool. Hmm. Um. My favorite non-traumatic thing is the increasingly bizarre. Um, text of the commercials for the Callaway products. <laughs> okay. Um, I don't know if you've read any of those, Nicole. No, I did not. Okay. I will probably send one to you after this recording. They are great. Um, because I, I mean, <laughs> they're being exploited, but you know, they, they, they have, they have Calliope the Callaway as the mascot. And so Calliope is like talking about how you better like, you know, have your milk and your milkshakes and don't forget your Callaway cheese. And like, here's all the products that we have so that your bones don't dissolve in space. Don't forget that I'm like a really weird uh, entity that we don't really understand. Just drink the milk. It's fine. And that's all like in the commercial in just this overly chipper old mm. commercial style and okay just the text captures it so beautifully like i've watched old shows that have commercials that feel like this and yeah i i, I really like the commercials they're fun there's just like one or two of them but they're so great uh yeah uh and that i think is going to do it for our discussion of radiance by Catherine m valenti Thank you so much for joining us. And we've recently shifted our episodes to being bi-monthly, as in twice monthly. Uh, yeah. So thank you so much for joining us, and we will catch you later. All music used in this podcast was created by Nicole as Heartbeat Art Co. and is used with permission. Our transcriptionist is Heather. Follow her on Twitter at MamaDragon20. We're proud members of the Certain Point of View Network. Find all the CPOV shows at www.certainpov.com. You can contact us on Twitter at Books That Burn or by email at Books That Burn at Yahoo.com. Please consider leaving us a tip at Kofi.com slash Books That Burn or becoming a monthly supporter on Patreon.com slash books that burn all patrons get access to our upcoming book list bonus content including the second half of all interviews and will receive a one-time shout out to get updates on our written reviews recent episodes and newly completed transcripts subscribe to our fortnightly newsletter at buttondown.email slash books that burn you can find us on apple Podcasts, pandora spotify or wherever you get your podcasts please leave us a review wherever you're listening this helps people to find the show thanks for listening we'll be back in two weeks